Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here's your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of Yumi Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 126 on food for healing, connection, and nourishment with Janet Ellsbach. Janet and I talk a lot about grief in this episode. She talks about the loss of her sister and mother. We talk about receiving help during the grieving process. And as I mentioned, food for healing and nourishment. Janet has written a beautiful, uh, you know, part memoir, part recipe book called Extra Helping Recipes for Caring, Connecting, and Building Community One Dish at a Time. You know, you guys, we may be socially distancing and staying home. I hope you are. It is the time of COVID-19. And uh, I think that's the empathetic thing to do. But either way, we can still heal each other and connect with our families, you know, the people that we are with at home through food. Because food is something we all can share. We all eat food, you know, unless you're... A robot and you just have you know you need to oil your joints or something but i don't know if robots can figure out podcasts you're listening to this you're a human who is nourished by food and janet has given us this wonderful gift in writing this book called extra helping and very excited to announce that uh, i'm doing a little book giveaway i'm giving away three copies three Three copies of Janet's beautiful book, Extra Helping. Uh, and where you can enter that little giveaway is over on Instagram at Yumiempathy. So check out this episode's post and you'll see how to enter one of three copies of Janet's amazing book. It has, it's chock full of amazing recipes and beautiful illustrations. Um, I highly recommend it. It's great. And like I said, I'm giving away three copies. Uh, before we get to the episode, though, I want to remind you to please leave reviews in Apple Podcasts. It really does help out the show. It's a free way to support the show. Uh, Yumi Empathy is no longer on Patreon. So if you can support it that way, that would be wonderful. I went to my, my little phone uh, to the podcast app just before recording this and saw that there were no new new reviews. So come on, people. Do it. I'm going to shame you into uh, supporting this show. Not really. Uh, if you don't want to do it, that's okay. But if you feel it in your heart to leave a review in Apple Podcasts, I would very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, the other thing um, I'm talking ad nauseum about is uh, Feely Human Collective. Again, you can go over to feelyhuman.co and you can sign up for the newsletter in advance of Feely Human launching to the public next month. In about a month, there's no specific date yet, although I'm realizing that I probably need to have a specific date, but there's no specific date as of this moment um, for the launch date of Feely Human, but it's coming soon. I've been working 
very hard every day to get it out uh, with the help of my trusty intern, Tristan, and uh, various other folks, Luke and Becky and Jessica, of course, just supporting me and encouraging me um, during this time. It's been very helpful. And so um, it's coming soon. But uh, make sure to sign up for that newsletter. Uh, you'll be the first to hear about its its launch in May. It's again, feelyhuman.co. Go there and make sure to follow Feely Human on all the socials at Feely Human. Uh, oh, the other thing is Yumi Empathy has a group. Um, it's actually called Feely Humans Unite. It's um, It was once the Yumi Empathy podcast community. Now it's called Feely Humans Unite. It's where it's a private group for Feely Humans. Private group for Feely Humans. That's what it, that's what it is on Facebook. Um, if you want to, I'm announcing it because if you want to be be in it, you should go be in it. Search for Feely Humans Unite. In addition to that, I'm looking for a few moderators of that Facebook group. So if you have an hour to a week to, you know, do some posts and 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 engage, uh, please let me know. Uh, just DM me on Instagram at Yumi Empathy or at Feely Human. I very much appreciate it. Okay. Let's get into it. Let's get into episode 126. Hold on. Sorry. Another interruption. I'm sorry. I'm the worst, but I love you. Uh, and you love me. Um, <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Uh, again, I, I just, you know, I just have to say it. We are still, as I mentioned before, going through this time of coronavirus and it's maybe a little anxious, maybe a little stressful. You know, I, I I was thinking earlier that um, you know it's been about a month, right? Since since we've been sort of staying at home, and and it's weird and it's uncomfortable at times. But I I do hope that I know for me, you know, initially there was discomfort and and um, there still is, but it's getting better, and I hope it's getting better for you, um, my good friend. I say good friend, but she's a friend. I consider her a friend. My friend Jen Pasiloff is doing an amazing sort of dork it out dance challenge. If you want to search for that hashtag, you can see one of my dorky dances. Um, she's doing that to raise some money for people who don't have food right now. And she has a GoFundMe um, that is in the link in the Yumi Empathy uh, Instagram bio. If you want to donate to that, that'd be amazing. If you have some money, that'd be awesome. No fret if not. But do the Dork It Out dance challenge. It's fun. Uh, but anyways, I, I hope you're doing okay. And I'm sending hugs and love. And um, just know that you're not alone. And uh, every Sunday during it uh, at 2 p.m. Pacific time, we're doing a little virtual chat, just emotional check-in. So if you want to go to that, it's bit.ly slash feelyhuman. That's the link. Every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, check it out. Um and then uh, lastly, sorry, uh, on Wednesday of this week, a couple days from now, I'm doing a um, a little uh, empathy presentation uh, on over on The Mighty um, on Instagram, I believe. Um, so if you're following The Mighty, go check them out. And uh, I hope to see you there. It's at 11 a.m. Pacific time. It'll be about an hour. Um, hope to see you there. Uh, on the Instagram, uh, the Mighty. I, I think they're at the Mighty site on Instagram. Any hoozles. Let's get to the episode. Finally, I've been droning on for hours. Let's get to this beautiful episode with my dear friend Janet Ellsbach. 
on food for healing and nourishment and connecting and just food. Food is good. I love food. You love food. We all love food. And Janet is amazing. Okay, episode 126. This is it. Enjoy. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm a happy raisin in a slice of toasted cinnamon swirl bread with writer, doggo lover, and author of Extra Helping, Janet Rich Elsbach. Hello, Janet. Hi, Noam. How are you? I'm okay. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Western Massachusetts, so that's always a good mood lifter. Yeah. I so one time a doctor told me I need more sun to help with my my mood and my depression. Is that is a sun is sun a thing that helps with your mental health? Sun definitely and getting outside all definitely helpful. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm so happy to have you. It's uh we were talking before we got started recording that it's been uh, a long time in the works. Yeah, it took us a few tries to coordinate schedules, but everything lined up beautifully today, including three dogs that are sitting here with me who've all been instructed to be very, very quiet. Excellent. And I have my Scooby here, and he's his paws are washed of the poop that he mashed them in this morning. Mm. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're good. We're all good. We're all set to record. <laughs> Um, well, uh, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm happy that we're doing this. I, I think your book, um, Extra Helping is lovely and really beautiful. And I, I love the angle and we'll, we'll get into that in, uh, a bit later. But before we do that, we always start the show with an emotional check-in. So how, how has your week been? How are you feeling? Um, well, I went to visit my dad in Florida, so I got some sunshine of the warm variety, which is not really available where I live right now, which <laughs> is nice. Um, it's just about exactly a year since um, we lost my mom, so I'm very conscious of the cycles and sort of bumblebee flight of living with that kind of loss, mm. and it's been kind of a low week with that. You know, when I go to a new space that she used to be in, I'm always looking for her. Mm. Um, so, Yeah ups and downs with that but i got to go into the sunshine with two of my kids which is always really nice yeah well first of all i'm sorry for your loss 
Thank uh-huh. you. Yeah, you're welcome. That's 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 hard. Uh, what part of Florida did you uh, visit? Miami. Okay. Take me to Miami. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I haven't spent much time in Florida, but uh, my recollection, I think the last time I was there was probably in the 90s, and we went to uh, Orlando for um, Disney World, and that was that was a delight. I was there when I was 10 years old, which was back when dinosaurs roamed the earth <laughs> in Orlando. Um, Miami is, is has gr- some wonderful features. It is not a great place to be if you're really conscious of like what humans are doing to the earth. Mm. Um, it's pretty densely developed, so mm. it can be kind of depressing just in that very physical way. Yeah. As a as a northerner, it is I can't look askance at getting a little sunshine. Sure. This time yeah. of year. So. Totally, totally. And what is the how how cold is it in Western Mass right now? It's um it was startlingly about it was in the teens when we got off the plane, which is always a, a real shock to the system when you've been in flip flops. But it's now it's a very human friendly kind of thirties I think today. And okay. like I said, the sun is shining, the sky is bright blue, so it's. There's no green in the landscape really at the moment, but it is sunny and and clear, which is always nice. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, uh, thanks for sharing that. I um, how are you? Yeah, I um, I'm doing all right. It's been it's been a pretty exhausting week for me um, in my day job and 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 sort of launching this new thing. That's that's uh, you know by the time this is out should be out, and that's exciting and. Um, but there was a there was a thing yesterday I wanted to mention. Uh, so my friends Gwen and and uh, Norm uh, threw this little um, party last night, uh, you know, and kids were welcome and stuff. And it was, uh, but the idea around the party was each person has to bring a story or something they made or. Um, a creation of some kind uh, that sort of spoke to the theme of beginnings. Mm -hmm. And so people came and and read, you know, uh, haikus or, you know, read a story that they wrote or uh, some kids created little birdhouses. And it was really uh, like, I wasn't really looking forward to it necessarily because I, I don't know, it's been just an exhausting week. And so I was feeling Mm -hmm. like I just wanted to stay, stay at home, but you know, serendipitously you know it was at uh norm's house and they live just across the street so we could just walk there and jessica and i jessica my wife and i the day before uh had a moment where we just came up with a silly idea of some performative dance to the movie rad um i don't know if you ever saw the movie rad (laughs) i did it. it was a 1986 like very cheesy bmx sort of movie mm-hmm. um and uh and i have it on vhs um as a nerd uh, uh as the nerd i am and so we put that uh we played like this there's a sequence in the movie and for for the listeners listening who's seen the movie uh you'll know what i'm talking about but it's like the scene where they're essentially dancing with bicycles and they call it bicycle boogie <laughs> It's very, it's very, <laughs> did you bring bicycles to Norm's house? We did not, but oh. we we put it on my little VHS player, you know, uh, TV. We played that scene, and then Jessica and I did like a performative dance together, and it was very silly, 
and uh, we were giggling throughout, and it was just, uh, it was a delight. So, um, I just wanted did to share anyone, that. Yeah. Did Go anyone ahead. bring anything edible? Yes, actually, um, uh, a few people. One person uh, is writing a book. Uh, you'll actually appreciate this. Uh, one person is writing a book on, um, like, one of the, it's a fiction book, I think, she explained, uh, and one of the characters is a baker, and so she's like, I need, I really need to like get into baking to like maybe get inside the head of the character. So she, she baked a, uh, like a strawberry loaf or something. And then, um, another person, uh, baked, uh, chocolate croissants with his son. Um, so yeah, there was all sorts of different creations. It was, it was a delight. Sounds great. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And I, 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 as like, I think a, and I don't know if I, I'm an introvert myself, so I don't know if you can relate to this or not. But like, I my instinct initially always is like, mm, I'll stay home. But but <laughs> but it is I'm all- laughing because I get teased about that all the time. Right? I mean, and and That's- but when I do go, and it's not always the case, but like when I do go, I'm just like, okay, I'm really glad I went because I really got a lot out of that. I was able to connect and and. As much as like I, as an introvert, need time to myself, I also need to connect, you know? Do you relate to that? Yeah, I totally relate to that. I have just, I just have to be very judicious about what, like, I got to catch myself right at the sweet spot where like, need the connection and, and willing to kind of open up and go out. So I really connect to what you're saying. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not a party animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well... The listeners will see. I'll probably post a video of Jessica and I dancing later today, and uh, you'll see how silly that was. Um, all right, let's let's get into your story, Janet. Uh, where? Let's let me ask you this: Where would you like to start? I know, I know, you know. I uh, like. I want to talk about the book, extra helping, but I and and sort of the nourishing and community of like food and all of that. But like, I also want to talk about your sort of mental health journey as well. Do you want to, you know, maybe mention a seminal moment or two in your mental health journey you want to share? <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm just sort of in a, a waiting area of some lounge on that mm. journey. Mm. Um, I feel like um, certainly for the last uh, 10 years, I would say, um, grief has just been a really powerful teacher on that journey. Um it's been, I've, we, my family's gone through some pretty profound losses. And, um, so I'm really conscious of the ways that that can both affect your sort of baseline general, whatever that is, mental health and, um, open up really kind of beautiful pathways to, to learn more about what we were just talking about, about connecting to other people and the mm. merits of, you know, getting outside and, um, just really root understanding of, uh, what, helps you feel safe and um grounded in the world yeah and and um can you uh, ex- tell me about what happened so like I, I i know that you've written about it your your older sister dying um yeah, so can you I'm, talk I'm about that of, experience a bit sure I'm, I'm one of three sisters and um in t- 2013 my oldest sister died um after a, about two years journey with cancer. Um, and that was just a really profound education in so many ways. And, um, we had lost some close friends before that, um, whose, uh, 
loss losses had also been pretty informative, uh, you know, a real uh, practicum and mm. how those things go. But uh, and then in the in the aftermath of that, my dad my dad has Parkinson's and um, he had some pretty serious health crises in the immediate aftermath of my sister dying. And, um, then again, you know, my, uh, my mom, uh, died a year ago. So, you know, striking pretty, pretty close to home, pretty seminal losses. Right. Um, and then, you know, my dad's ongoing struggle with his health and that's, it's been a good amount, (laughs) good amount to process. Yeah. That's Um, that is so much. And I'm, really deeply sorry for all that loss. Thank you. Do you, so when we talk about loss and, and I, I've spoken to a few different folks on this podcast, Rebecca Sofer of modern loss being one of them. Um, uh, Rachel Reichblum of, uh, that good grief being another, um, the thing about, I always hear, and I wonder if this is the same for you, Janet is, there's no real sort of preparation, right? Like there's no real, cause it's every, it's so uniquely um, yours to hold. Right. So like when, when we experience loss, it's, it's, there's, I mean, there's truly, and, and maybe this, uh, I wonder if this is the case for you. There's truly no prep work you can do for lack of a better <laughs> term, you know? No, there, I mean, in retrospect, I think, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm about a thousand years old sort of sitting on my mushroom here giving out, uh, counsel, but mm-hmm. in retrospect, I think I would tell my, some younger version of myself that really honing the ability to connect to other people, to f- figure out the ways that that can feel nourishing and not, um, you know, challenging, um, and finding out what what your, you know, comfort languages are and what you need to feel strong. Those are really the only ways to prepare. And I, I had the experience when my sister was ill. Um, somebody said to me, Oh, I've never known anyone who died. (laughs) And I remember thinking at the time, like, well, um, odds are like, odds are pretty good. You're not going to be able to, uh, you know, wear that bumper sticker for the rest of your journey here. Right. That streak ain't lasting. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the, I love, I don't love the phrase, but I'm very taken with the phrase like anticipatory grief, like this illusion that we have that we can prepare somehow. And especially, Mm. um, through a loss like my sister's where it was very, it was a a very drawn out process, you know, where in theory, you know, what the end of the story is likely to be at a certain point, you have this illusion that you're preparing or doing some of the legwork, you know, getting ready. And, and it's just. Just a, a, a funny little trick that our minds play for us to to let us believe that, but really the work of pre- quote unquote preparing or getting ready for that kind of thing, which is such a inevitable part of the human experience, is just learning how to love other people and be loved and take care of yourself and you know, mm. protect protect what you need to protect. Yeah, that's so well said. And and do you feel like you? you maybe weren't sort of immersed in, in thinking on those terms, like before those losses, before your sister passed? 
Well, I think one of the things that has really struck me, especially in the um, year or so since the book came out, is how profoundly I had to throw myself into the novice category of accepting help because the other one, one of the other primary illusions we have is that if you're a helpful person and you're, you know, schooled in the art or science or practice of offering help to other people that the mirror image of that will be receiving help and you'll be good at that too. Mm. And that is so bogus. I mean, that just isn't at all true. And in fact, I think it's harder for people who are helpers sometimes to learn how to accept help. And 100%. That, uh, yeah, that's, that's something that I really wasn't prepared for. And, um, and when I look back and the book was a really useful way of kind of reviewing my, so kind of the curriculum of my life in that regard. And I have three children. And so, um, the births of each of those children was a really revealing and memorable moment, kind of snapshot of, okay, where are you now with accepting help? Like, here's how you came into the parenting experience, you know, with baby number one. And then a few years later, here's baby number two. And like, now how are you doing with it? Mm. Um, and that, uh, I, I was able to kind of look back at those experiences and talk to other people who, one of the, the great parts about writing the book was talking to other people who've been on both the giving and receiving end of primarily edible help because the, you know, the book focuses on that. Right. And it was, um, it was so informative to see, like you said, these are really individual experiences. I mean, even if you took a, as if you could classify it, but like a type of loss, like the loss of a parent or the loss of a sibling or something like that. It, it varies so much from person to person because everyone, even, you know, if you were to talk to me and my surviving sister about the loss of our sister or our mom, our experiences are so individual, even within a family. Um, you know, even though we've lost the same person, w the relationship we've lost is totally different. Right. And how we receive it and process it is totally different because even though we grew up in the same, theoretically the same family, you know, there's the whole saying about no child has the same parents you know grows up in the same family because it's such a you know quixotic little mixture of your personality and your sensitivities and your you know the things that you've experienced personally and so all those things are just so personal and unique yeah um, good use of quixotic <laughs> <laughs> English has it, major oh same <laughs> likewise um, has it been difficult to because, you know, I think I, 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 I love um, the reminder and thank you for it that we all have different emotional experiences and, and it's important to recognize that for you and, and your, you know, surviving sister, has that been hard to sort of parse that out and find sort of space for each of you together and sort of, uh, you know, separately to find healing? Oh, yeah, so much. Um, we were really uh, taking care of my sister when she was ill and when she was dying and then sort of dealing with the aftermath of her death, which is a whole other experience. She and I were really, um, I wouldn't say in lockstep, but we were very united in the ways that we did that. It was a very demanding process. Um, yeah. And in, in this case involved a lot of traveling and, um, you know, time away from our own families and in, in a pretty intense kind of way. My um, sister was a pretty intense character too. So it was just, a, it was a very intense time. Um, and then losing our mom has been a, a much, well, it's, you know, it's a, some time has passed. And then 
um, it's a diff- it's just a different kind of loss. So we're I, I'm more conscious of the ways that we each have our own way to process that. Yeah, like there was more of a sort of we are together processing this this thing, which is kind of different for each of us because she and um, she and my other sister were a year apart. They were what they call Irish twins, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. very close in age. And then there was a long gap um, until I came along six years later. I see. Um, so their their relationship had a, a totally different kind of intensity than my relationship with my sister did. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the loss of a parent is just like a completely, like also like a root level loss that's um, really reveals the differences in, in those relationships. I have a friend who's like has a real button on the phrase, I'm sorry for your loss. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think all of us develop, especially if you've had a number of experiences like that, you kind of develop a little, uh, you know, pocket phrase book of things that drive you absolutely bananas or, or things that actually work. <laughs> I said that land, in this you know, very you know, conversation, Janet. <laughs> I love that phrase. No, you, 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 you hit the sweet spot for me. I love that phrase because it allows for whatever, what form, uh, form it takes for you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for your loss. Like, right. Not like, you know, the people who come in, oh, you lost your mom. You must feel, you know, oh, whatever. Sure. Versus I'm just sorry. I don't know. Like I, I wrote a piece once years ago about, um, it's almost like you come upon someone who's sort of peering over into a little well or an abyss, you know, and you don't know what they're seeing. You don't know how deep it is. You don't know what, you know, what's on the walls of that, uh, you know, space, Mm -hmm. but you can see that you can recognize the sort of the posture of loss and just say, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know what you're looking at down there, but you know, I'm just, here's some support for the process, whatever form it takes for you. Like some people, you know, their grandmother dies and she was the, uh, you know, the root of all goodness in their life. Maybe they had an unstable, you know, parenting experience, but their grandmother was like a rock and some people <laughs> didn't feel that way. Um, so, you know, they have a much to, to make some assumption or presumption about how, what someone's grieving or how they're grieving it or how it's landing for them. I feel like is you're, you're people are so tender in those um, periods of time that, you know, those things really can great, or pierce them somehow, but that phrase, I love it because it's just like, I don't know what, I don't know what it is, but I'm sorry for this effort that you're having to exert right now or this yeah. thing that you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I, for me personally, I don't like, I haven't experienced, uh, a, a, a lot of loss, uh, and, and, and sort of the, sort of, you know, quote unquote death sort of version of loss. You know, I've experienced loss certainly, but like I, like it's, I think it's such a, it's such a, like, tell me about like the, the, how these loss experiences have sort of um, got you thinking about uh, or experiencing like the nuances of empathy. Cause I, cause I, I feel like, there is a tremendous in any sort of experiential, um, you know, emotional experiences. There, there are so many pockets where we can find empathy, right, and and really hone and craft that empathy. Is tell me about that experience for you a little bit. I, I don't know why. I'm, uh, maybe I'll figure it out as I'm talking. But the first thing that came to mind was um, before my sister died. My oldest daughter's teacher and she was in a Waldorf school. So your teacher was like a, you know, somebody you were in theory on an eight year journey with. Mm. 
um, first grade through eighth grade. And he was just an incredibly compelling, wise, lovely, lovely man and had become a friend through the um, grades that she had gone through with him. And then he was diagnosed with a, a terminal illness. And he wrote a book about his experience um, with cancer and, and, you know, coming to terms with the idea of it being terminal. And, and it was a really joyful, strangely joyful experience for him. Um, like he, he was so clear about what it had revealed for him. His book, he wrote a book about it called traveling light. And then because it was a, a brain cancer, um, he was this unbelievably erudite, just compelling speaker and writer. And most cruelly, that was kind of the, what, what began to fall away, mm. um, was his ability to, you know, to write and then edit his own work. So I got involved with helping him bring the book to publication and, um, and it was, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a, in an environment where you would kind of joyfully go through something like that. You know, there was this sort of more, uh, Judaic sense of burden, um, which I'm beginning to recognize, you know, the Jews don't have a, a, a monopoly on that. Um, other faiths to also, <laughs> also oh. orient people to look at things as burdensome, which are genuinely burdensome. Right. Um, but this idea of like finding the light and finding what's revealed to you, nobody would opt to have a, you know, a, a terminal brain cancer, but, and, he found all these beautiful ways to connect to other people and to healers and to the world around him and this appreciation for sort of the, the waning moments of his time here. And that was really, um, I, I mean, even if I think even if I hadn't been involved in writing the book with him, it would, it would really have struck me. And, um, that isn't to say that, you know, he didn't leave a family behind who was really struggled in the aftermath of his loss and there weren't really sad and, um, heavy things that came out of that, but it was really revelatory for me. Like, Oh wow. There's a way to, to see the gifts and, you know, that are handed to you with these other things. Um, and that I've certainly tried to, to hold on to that. Um, sometimes it feels like the universe is, mm, yeah. <laughs> finds that amusing. Um, <laughs> but you know, that, that was really, this is often what happens is I start talking and I forget what the question was, but, um, that that I think was about just the idea of empathy and and grief and and just yeah. seeing like he was a pretty public figure yeah you know in our community and um and little windows into like that kind of loss and then how that's translated just to the family that loses their their person right um, that was definitely um, educational yeah I bet and what a beautiful experience I. And I, I love the, I love the idea of, uh, their, their, like, cause like when we talk, like a lot of times, like, uh, sort of the, the societal way we sort of pitch or talk about like positive reframe or thinking mm -hmm. positively, right? It's, it's sometimes it feels like a, um, an exclusion of the pain, right? And not, you know, yeah. and, and, but, but I think the beauty in, um, that experience you're describing is, is there's a recognition of both, right? There's, there's beauty and there's loss and there's sadness and there's, you know, darkness and, 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 and we as humans, uh, contain, contain both of those things simultaneously. Yeah. It's a very, and experience. I think where yeah. a lot of people struggle is, is the either, or like, I, how am I supposed to be happy about this is horrible, 
Like, well, you're, <laughs> you're actually supposed to be both. You're supposed right. to be, you're not supposed to be, but I mean, the, the capa- we have the capacity to recognize both yeah. at the same time. Right, right. When, when you, um, when your sister was um, sort of struggling and before she passed, like, were you, and do you worry about, oh, am I, like, because like, I, I'll just put this on me. Like I, I'm someone who has, I have anxiety, I have anxiety and I have an anxious brain. So my mind can go sort of weird, uh, dark, uh, neurotic places. And so like part of me would be like, Oh my gosh, like she had cancer. Am I going to have cancer? Do you worry about that stuff or is that? Oh not, my gosh. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> been quite a bit of cancer in our family. And, um, I remember going to see it. I have, I, one of my ongoing um, struggles is I have a, a back injury that's really been pretty limiting um, mm. for the last 10 years or so. And I'm very aware now of the ways that emotion and your physical body uh, d- sometimes do not play nicely together. Or certainly they are connected. Um, oh, 100%. Yeah. And I went to see this new, I have just been on this quest perpetually to find somebody who can bring me some relief. And I went to see this new chiropractor that my doctor had recommended I go see. And he looked at me and this was probably, I don't know, within three months of, of losing my sister. And, you know, you go through the family history, like you fill out the form with like who has what in their what and, you know, who's had what. And he picked up the form and he looked at it and he goes, crap, that's oh a God. lot of cancer. Oh, oh my not God. Done. He goes, crap, that's a lot of cancer. You must be waiting for the other shoe to drop. Oh, <laughs> I was like, God. Just, I'm probably you probably can just throw the form away because I don't think I'm coming back here. Right? <laughs> like, whoa, it's not what you want to yeah. hear. No, and it certainly wasn't like I also have an anxious brain, so it wasn't a, it wasn't a foreign thought. It wasn't a novel thought, but it was sort of like, wait a second, like I'm supposed to be wrestling with that in the dark of night. Like you're not supposed to be <laughs> pointing that out to me in, in, in like that. <laughs> yeah, you're think. the professional here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of that. And there's also in that kind of both and kind of way, it's, I have a friend, uh, Maria Sarwa, who's a positive psychology uh, guru. She's amazing. She teaches courses and she's written some wonderful books. And she did this uh, performative piece. Oh my gosh, it must be like almost 20 years ago now, but the title of it and the refrain through the whole thing was the bus is already coming. Like whatever is going to take you out, it, it's coming. It, and we we won't know for the most part you know, what it is in advance. So you should live your life. You should, you know, suck the marrow out of the the thing and, you know, drink the juice and, you know, find your, your joy because whatever it is, it's coming. You're not, you know, like that woman who said to me, oh, I've never known anyone who died. Well, one of the people that's going to die is going to be you. Yeah. So you may as well um, live your life. And so I, I feel like that, um, that certainly has been made clear to me. Um, it's yeah. not always easy to, to yeah. live into that in a lighthearted way, but, um, it's definitely something that I've thought about. And my sister didn't, um, really acknowledge or embrace, uh, I don't know if embrace is the right word, but, um, that she was dying wasn't something that was really acknowledged or spoken about until she was actively dying. Mm. Um, so the first, the lion's share of that experience was spent with all of us sort of having our own interior experience or sidebar conversation about where it was going, but, um, not, it didn't have any of Williams, like, let me, you know, go on this light filled path because I, I know something about, you know, the trajectory of this. 
So that was, but it did teach me. And when you ask about like what I've learned from it, I I haven't stopped, you know, it's not a static experience. Like it's done. It was seven years ago and I don't, you know, I've learned all the the things to learn from it. it. I keep taking those things out and looking at them again, you know, as I go on in life and experience other things. And I look back and I go, wow, that I understand that in a different way now. Um, and she, I was aware at the time that she was teaching me a really powerful thing about self-determination mm. um, because almost nobody around her agreed with how she was handling it. Wow. And there was a lot of fighting. And at a certain point, I remember recognizing, like, I could keep fighting or I could be with her, but I can't really do both of those things. Like, And that's something that I go back to again and again, you know, those dark of night, um, long night of the soul mm-hmm. kind of moments where you look back at, a, at those things again and understand how alone she must have felt, even though she was a very pugnacious person and didn't present with any kind of uncertainty. There's just, was just a very alone quality to that. And, um, so I, I, I think about that all the time. Yeah. And how can you not? Yeah. You know, did I do enough versus like, um, that sort of karmic, dharma idea of well it was her path right um to figure that out what did um what did relinquishing that control and just kind of being there and not you know sort of throwing your hands up in that fight like what did that look like in some ways it's harder because fighting and having this goal like i want to get her to do this particular thing like that is what has to happen is it is a very occupying thing. Right. And it allows you to be so occupied with it that you don't have to think or feel too much of the thinks or feels that are <laughs> available in that moment. And letting go of that was more like, oh, this is hard. Mm. Um, like, this is just a hard thing. And I don't have that, um, you know, the hamster wheel of that, got to get this box checked, got to get her to do this thing. Um, when you let, when I let go of that, it was more just, I, I have this really vivid memory of one moment where, um, it just became so clear to me, like I had to stop fighting with her. Somebody had, you know, I I couldn't wait for everybody to, I was just going to stop fighting with her. Hmm. And it was just almost one of the sweetest moments of the really, really hard time. Um, you know, just lay down with her, um, and we were kind of aligned in that moment. Like it was a really quiet moment for her. And it was, I think, you know, spiritually at some level, we didn't really talk about it, but like she could recognize like, like there was a little ease in that moment, like yeah. to just be. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it is so hard. And, uh, you know, my, my, my young, my uh, youngest brother, no, not my youngest brother, my middle brother, <laughs> has uh, schizophrenia and you know when that sort of started arising it was it was a you know understandably a a sort of melange of um, not knowing what to do and and trying to kind of you know certainly try to help him in ways that like were not helpful right and and Mm -hmm. and you know you know like you know sort of trying to sort of diagnose it and, and trying to kind of look back on childhood traumas and, you know, and, you know, while that 
can be useful in some sense. Like it's not useful for him, right? It's not. That's not what he needs, and it's been a long journey, and and um, letting go of, of of that control, right? But and it's it's so hard though, because like you know, you feel like you know what's best, you know, you feel <laughs> like you they're you know they're your brother or they're your sister, and you love them mm-hmm. so deeply, and and you want the best for them, but ultimately that has to come from them. Yeah, and you know, with all your um, explorations of empathy that kind of agenda driven thinking, like I, I have this thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what you need to try for that. You know, whether it's a, you know, anyone, a friend or a relative or someone who's struggling with something, you know, that I know what you need to try for that. Um, it kind of shuts down empathy. It shuts down the possibility of having like that little bit of breathing room. Like I keep for lately, I keep coming back to that idea. I must've just read a news story about an avalanche or something like when you're in an avalanche, you dig out a little space around your, um, mouth to breathe. Hmm. Um, that really uh, driven. I've got the solution that you need to try. It, it's the antithesis of that. Yeah. It, either the person it sets up this sort of binary. Either they're agreeing with you or they're not. Either they're cooperating or they're being uncooperative. And it 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 doesn't leave room that little bit of breathing room to be like, oh, like what is this like for you, like. How is this for you? And when you're talking about your brother's experience, um, I've been listening to uh, this wonderful podcast called Last Day, hmm. which is all about um, opioid, the opioid crisis. Oh, yes. And uh, Stephanie, Stephanie uh, Whittles Wax. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And um, th- something like a terminal illness or a, a chronic uh, mental health issue or um, an addiction, you know, something like that there's this real tendency like to believe, like you, like you said, you want the best for them. So you want to wish this thing away. It should be gone. Like the best for them would be if this thing wasn't even part of the picture. So yeah. how do we eradicate it from the picture? And that idea of the little bit of breathing space and the, 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 the little tiny seed of true connection and compassion and empathy comes from accepting it. Wh- yep. Whether it's something that could in fact be eradicated, you know, it's, it's, it's part of them right now. And even dealing with my own like struggles with my back, like the more I try to other it, I want this thing done. I want it solved. I want it to go away. It, it creates this division even within myself. Like I don't really occupy my body in a holistic way because I'm at war with it. You know, it's either there's something that my body's doing to me or mm. you know, something I need to do to it right. to make this thing stop. And it, it doesn't allow you to have this kind of uni- unified experience of just living in your own skin. Um, so I'm, I've, j- I've just been noodling around with that idea quite a lot. Like wishing it away is wishing a part of the person away. Even yeah. when you're talking about something you're dealing with or struggling with yourself. Yeah. Um, y- embracing it, it doesn't necessarily mean accepting it forever. It just means accepting like this is now. This is what there is now. Right. Um, so how do we like, deal with that constructively um and with forgiveness and yeah you know. yeah no absolutely and i i think that's such a beautiful lesson i think for for me and for all of us is that yeah i mean i i think that is that that is the ultimate aim i think in life is is finding those moments of connection and 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 uh, meeting people where they are like that's the mm-hmm. thing you know i i think 
there's so much in life. You mentioned, Janet, like, here, do this thing. This will heal you. Or do this thing. This will be the trick, you know? And I, I, th- I think that, um, uh, you know, I don't think people are trying to, like, harm, you know? They're, it's mm-hmm. just, like, the way uh, our society is sort of set up. But right. but I, I think the more that we can find what you're describing and, and just accepting and being being here now, you know, <laughs> just like mm-hmm. uh, allowing that person to, to be in the experience they are in um, and not uh, being so uh, prescriptive about it, you know, for ourselves mm-hmm. and just just being there is is it is truly the the aim in life um, for communities and for our own sort of health and, and sanity. Yeah. Yeah. And that it leaves that well, I, to- I told you, have you taken the thing yet? No. Well, <laughs> I guess you don't want to be better, you know, like, <laughs> and you, you just don't know like what, uh, there's an arrogance to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then until you then walk a mile in some similar set of footwear, you may, and, and you, you will, you won't be able to recognize like, Oh wow. There, there could be a, other than obstinacy, there could be another reason why this person is not doing the thing. Yeah. That will obviously make them better if they would just do it. You know, some <laughs> failure of whatever on their part. Like and right. then when you go through it, it's like, oh. You just got to choose. And, yeah. <laughs> got to choose to be better. And my dad and my sister really struggled because he had gone through um, cancer himself before she was diagnosed. And he was, she had always been a very, um, you know, alternative healing, um, non-Western embracing kind of person. And he was not until mm. he was diagnosed with cancer. And then um, was doing all kinds of, um, complimentary supportive, you know, Reiki and vitamins and diet changes and, and really embracing both, you know, he did the full chemo radiation situation, but he also did all this other stuff. And so he really believed that that would be what would save her. And when, when he was going through chemo and radiation, she would call me every day and say, chemo's going to kill him. Like we got to get him to stop doing that. It's poison. Mm. You know, he's good. And he, I remember him saying to her at one point, like, you got to stop calling it poison. Cause I, you know, it's like my soldier of, I don't remember what the imagery he used, but he had, you know, some really powerful imagery for himself about what this was. Do- it was a very hard thing to go through. Yeah, um, yeah. But he had imagery for himself, like to sustain himself with it. And when she refused to do those things or chose not to do those things, depending on how you look at it, you know, it was a real struggle for him because he wanted her to do what he had done because it had saved him. He was still here. And she had the same like dogged, really closely held beliefs about what was going to make her better that he had. Um, and it was really um, intense to watch them kind of each struggle with that, you know, her for him when he was ill and then on the other side. Mm, yeah. Wow. Um, I, you know, I, it, it, it makes me think about what empathy is. And I, I think there's, there's, I, I think there's so much nuance in empathy that I, I think sometimes we forget about. So for instance, next week I'm doing a little workshop at um, a local college, uh, a design college. And I'm, you know, the, the main lesson in it um, is empathy for ourselves. Mm. And, and so that's sort of one piece of it that we forget and the other piece i think and i feel we need to create more space for is you know just because like just because i janet haven't like 
you know, my, you know, you know, my sister hasn't died, for instance, like, and I can't make that one to one connection. It doesn't mean I can't have empathy for your situation, right? Right. Like, I have the capacity as a human person to tap into uh, other experiences of loss, right? And, and, uh, knowing that I have a sister, right? And, and feeling about like what that loss would mean to me. And then knowing that like that would be, you know, a brutal, uh, experience. And I, and I feel for that experience and I feel for you and I'm so sorry. And, and, and so like I feel like there's such, like I sometimes like when we talk about empathy, it's like, oh, we just had like, I haven't experienced that. So like, there's no, you know, that's, that, that's the end game, right? Or that's, that's the end point. There's no sort of growth from there. But I think there's so much more opportunity for empathy that we, we forget about. Yeah, going back to that little pocket dictionary of like, what not to say and what to say that phrase like, oh, I can't imagine what you're going through. Mm. Mm. And I've, I've read or listened to so many people who've gone through pretty traumatic things, revisiting that idea and saying, it's not that you can't, actually. <laughs> you can. Um, it, you, you can. You just don't want to, which is perfectly valid, but it's not that you can't. Yeah. And I feel like the, um, I think you raise this really powerful idea. It's like you can always connect it to something because you're a human and they're a human. It's not like, you know, they're operating with completely different machinery and software than you are. Um, but even if you can't, you know, even if, God forbid, you're talking about something where somebody's gone through something so devastating that there really is no equivalent in your life. What you have is curiosity. Like you can still, you can build empathy certainly from finding shared, like those filaments that you're talking about. Like, well, I haven't lost my sister, but I have a sister, Yeah. you know, yeah. Or, or I have a close friend, you know, I, who's valuable to me in a, you know, a made family chosen family kind of a way. Yeah. So you can build it that way, but you can also build it from a kind of a blank slate on your side. If that's what you perceive just with curiosity, like, tell me what, I'm not going to come in here and tell you what it must be like for you or tell you, you know, what's going to save you. I'm just going to come in and ask or learn from you. Like, tell me what this is like. And then probably you will find those elements that do connect it, even if you don't recognize that you have them at the outset. Yeah. Yeah, I think curiosity is really, it's like the most important tool in a way for empathy is just even if, if it's self-directed or directed at the situation or at the other person, like what, what am I seeing here? Not, I know what this is. You know, we have this human compulsion to like categorize and mm-hmm. label and sort things out, but like come in curious. Like, yeah. What is this? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's um, so important curiosity. And I, I um, a piece of that for me has always been uh, listening, right? Like truly listening, you know, to, mm-hmm. to people and, and, um, you know, like in this podcast, I've, I've really had to like hone that. Like, I think early on I was, um, so sort of prescriptive about like, oh, this is the way things need to go. And I took so many notes and, and then it took me out of like being present and really truly listening to the person I'm speaking to. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. And, and the connections we make is just set aside any preconceived notions, you know, just be there and listen. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to do. It, it is hard. So, it's, it's so simple to describe. It's, it it's is, really hard oh, to yeah. do. It's, it's hot. It's, yeah, it's a challenge every day for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, I think for some yeah. people it's, it's pretty uncomfortable too. When you meet mm. someone who's a really compelling listener, like mm-hmm. it can be very uncomfortable. Like, mm-hmm. 
because what what we're accustomed to filling the space with between two people is you know, kind of not there. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. No, it, you're right. Like it, it actually, when you said that, it made me think of, I took a workshop with Jen Pasteloff, uh-huh. uh, who's on this podcast and, and, you know, she's, she's deaf. And so when, you know, when we're there in person, uh, in this workshop, uh, you know, it was part like writing workshop and mm-hmm. some yoga. I've taken and, that workshop. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. She's it's the amazing. best. Um, yeah. but she gets right up in your face. Yep. You know, and and she's staring at your your lips, mm-hmm. right? Trying to read your lips, and and that's, you know, that's that's like a whole nother level. But like, it's the same idea. You know, you just you listen, you you be right. there, and it's it's vulnerable. It's very much so, and also it's like it's a whole like both sides experience of vulnerability. You know, she really owns and describes so beautifully. Like she's her her superpower is listening, and she's deaf. Yeah. Yep. Um. And to stand with that and be open to it. Um, it's, it's a big, ex- big human exercise. It's yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So Janet, um, tell me about the process of writing and, and sort of putting together your book, uh, extra helping. Well, it started as a blog, like most things lately. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it was, was it like 2011, I think is when it started. Um, I had a friend, have a friend, Susie Baum, who uh, writes really beautifully about the experience of motherhood in particular and is really concerned with um, making space for moms, mothers to share their stories and breathe into all the aspects of motherhood, dark and light, um, you know, and voice that for other people and leave room for other voices. And so she invited me to be part of a, a writing evening that she used to do every year and I was really self-conscious about not having published anything in quite a while. I'd published a children's book a long time ago, but I hadn't um, done anything since then. And so I started a blog because it was 2011. So that's what you did. <laughs> um, and I didn't know what to have, you know, sort of have it be about. And a friend of mine said, well, we all just want to know what you're having for dinner, putting in the lunchbox. So just write about that. That made such sense to me because I'm not a culinary professional by any stretch of the imagination, but I've always been, I grew up in a house where food was the primary love language. Mm. My, you know, my sisters had a catering business that I took over and I worked in a bakery and, you know, I've had all kinds of food experiences, but, um, I'm definitely more of a home cook than a um, professional, but it is the thing that comes up every day, multiple times. Um, and it made sense that I would more than anything else, I would have something to say about that because it was just, I had young kids at the time. So it was particularly loud. Um, you know, they always need to be fed something. <laughs> so, um, that became the most natural thing to write about. And then through that prism, you know, look at all the other things that were going on in life, my yeah. life and in the world. Um, and then I had another friend, uh, an incredible group of primarily female friends who I just do what they tell me to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not always, which to sometimes to their consternation, but, uh, and so this other friend, Laura McNeil, who's a wonderful writer and her, um, her husband, Tom was my writing teacher in college and they are great friends, and they just said, it's time for a book. You need to put this together into a book. Um, and another friend, Alana Chinello, who's a wonderful food writer, um, said, it needs to be about, you're good at showing up for people with food, and people don't know how to do that. So have it be about that. Hmm. So, and then as that was all coming together um, was the period of time when my sister was um, was sick and dying. So it kind of all grew out of that. And one of the things you have to do when you're writing a book proposal 
is established that your book basically already exists in the world and has been very successful. And you're just going to write another one like that. Um, so you have to cut, it's like a real estate thing. You have to provide comparables, like what other titles exist that you will basically be echoing. Mm. And what really struck me was I couldn't find one. Um, there were lots of special diet for particular illness books. There were, um, you know, lots of like how to bake presents for people, you know, or themed books in that way. But they're really since about, well, uh, after, after I completed the book, I found one from 1970, but really since the the twenties, there hadn't been a book that was just about how to take care of people with food. Um, and I think part of what happened to make that less of a sort of topic that was considered important to educate people around was kind of an erosion of empathy and a, this, um, you know, the ways that privacy sort of grew up around those kinds of things. And also, um, this proliferation of, well, this person's paleo and this person's this, and you know, mm, you, how mm. could we possibly know what could help you because you may be doing some wackadoodle other thing. You know, there's, I think we, there was sort of a general presumption that we all kind of ate the same way before as yeah. wrong headed as that might've been. And now that there really isn't that, like everybody's doing something. And that, that is part of what shuts down people's ability to show up for each other with food is that, I don't know what the thing that they do is or what his thing is, like he's got a thing he's allergic to or whatever. So I don't, I, I'm not going to bring them something to eat because God only knows if it's yeah. going to be the right thing. Um, and I think there are all kinds of things you can do now, give people gift cards and for Postmates and, you know, other delivery services and things like that, which are, are very valuable and I don't mean to minimize them in any way, but there is something valuable in that curiosity like what do you guys eat what are you hungry for like i feel like appetite is so informative about healing and emotional well-being and all that kind of like what someone's hungry for and it's because you know we come out seeking calories you know we're born rooting for for mother's milk mm -hmm. it's a very compelling driving force and um you can, it, it has such deep roots for people, you know, the things that they crave when they're sick, if, you know, the foodiest foodie in the world, when they don't feel well, or they're grieving, or, you know, some other, like, shaking event is happening in their life, they don't want smoked, you know, <laughs> row of whatever, yeah. that, you know, they're going to have some very profound craving. And I feel like most of modern life kind of beats that out of us or beats our awareness of it out of us mm. and illness and grief and all those kinds of things are really revealing. Like they help you get kind of get back to the source. Yeah. Um, so I have this kind of, I've, I'm obviously really nerdy about all this stuff, but I have this um, really almost like a scale in my mind, like what balances the situation? Like if it's a hot, dry illness, you know, what would be the antidote? Really, to that or if this you know if someone's going through something if they're grieving and it's like this sort of really heavy experience like finding the right way to bring in some, just a little bit of light and space but not too much you know versus sometimes when you're celebrating you want to kind of go all out like i love just thinking about those kinds of things i love that and i i think it's such a wonderful concept and because you know like like death, you know, food is something we all uh, we all 
we all eat, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Just as we all die, and and I think, um, you know, especially as someone from you know, I I have a disordered eating past. Uh, uh, food is something that nourishes, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think about nourishment a lot, and like what nourishes my body, what sort of really makes me feel connected to my body and connected to other people. And I I think the thing about food is it it can be such a um, communal uh, connecting operation, and and that's what I love about extra helping and 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 um things like that is is it brings people together plain and simple right and 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 can heal which i think is so it's so important thank you i thought so too <laughs> <laughs> um but the, and the idea was really not like here are the five things you bring to this person who's going through this thing because sure. again it's also so individual yeah. um you know i could have my idea of like the perfect basket to bring to someone who's you know, if you and your wife moved, like, oh, this is my meal that I bring to people when they've moved. Mm-hmm. But if I don't take the time to spend, a, you know, breathe a little bit into, like, oh, no one has this history with eating and food, and like, I need to make this feel safe and enjoyable for him. So let me just ask him what he's hungry for. Yeah. Like, you don't have to get into the whole thing, um, you know, if you don't know the person well. But the idea was just to give people, like, a place to start from like yeah. you might read the book and go whoa no i would never bring that you know but fine <laughs> so don't but but take at least take from it like it's okay to to experience the vulnerability of like i don't know what to bring you what do you want and let the person experience that feeling of like oh this person's asking me so i kind of have to notice like what am i hungry for and and then when you've when you've transacted that somehow successfully what you've created is way more valuable than you know, the calories or nutrients that are in whatever you've brought them because yeah. you've built that little empathy bridge. You know, you've mm. created that little bit of space where that could grow from. Right. And when you were sort of doing the work of writing the book, were you, you know, sitting down with friends and making them food and stuff like that? I'm kind of always doing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, just having kids, you know, sure. that's, um, that's because I grew up that way. Um, you know, I had really good teachers around that. And, um, so that just having a family was a good education in that. And then, um, you know, when you're part of a circle of people who are all having children, there becomes this kind of round robin of, you know, who's cooking for who and that kind of thing. And then, um, it's just, it's, for me, it's the default. It's the, it's the easiest thing to think of what, you know, that sort of, I think I said something in the book about like when you, people are standing around like wringing their hands and not knowing what to do when somebody's going through something, it's the easiest place to start because there's no, like, I wonder if they need dinner. Like, right. of course they need dinner. They're humans. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's dinner time. So, um, hmm. you don't have to wonder if somebody needs to be fed. Usually that generally speaking, if you've got through something, you've eaten something in order to do that. Um, so it's just a, it, for me, it's like the easiest place to begin. And then I began to recognize that like other people don't feel that way. Like they don't know, they didn't grow up that way or they don't have that orientation towards like, um, just addressing things that way. So, yeah. so, you know, you mentioned like the, uh, you know, I, and I would argue, you know, that you're correct in that sort of assumption that, that sort of the modernization of like, 
food and and how we connect over food and what nourishes us and sort of the you know the pull of the diet industry and and the you know the sort of disordered eating that exists there and all that stuff like it's 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 all very um in my perspective and i i i you know i have a i would say that i have sometimes a cynical view of that stuff but in my perspective it's 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 uh it's isolating it's not connecting it's mm-hmm. uh it's it's made to make us feel um insecure or um you know uh makes fail, feel bad about our bodies or or whatever you know and 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 it sounds like extra helping is um you know if not like a straight up antidote to that certainly um an alternative to that frame of thinking well, i think um I think it's Jen Passoff who you're just referring to talks introduced that phrase of like don't should all over yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and eating in the diet culture are is a very shoddy industry. You know, it's very should emphasize that you should want this and you shouldn't want that. These are good foods and these are bad foods. And um and I was hoping to give people a little bit of a roadmap into like just as much as possible, setting that aside and just being guided by appetite and this idea of building empathy and community. Like yeah. if you can satisfy someone's appetite, you've really done something. Or if you can help them re- give them the space where they can recognize their appetite um, outside of all the, the shitty messages that they've grown up with, you know, then you've really done something. And to, but I, that makes, I think that makes it sound if you haven't read the book, like it's this very preachy. Um, it, it, the idea was really to be the antithesis of that. Like yeah. um, the, that curiosity really is the the primary ingredient. Um, yeah. And, and being open to learning like, Oh, that didn't land well. Um, you know, they didn't like that. Let's, so let's try, you know, cause if you come in with this very strong guiding set of principles, this is what's good for this and you will eat it and you will like it. You, you haven't learned, you have you've shut down the possibility of learning anything from it. Right. And um, you're shutting down people cause people, yeah. you know, as we said before, like people don't want to hear that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if they, or if they do, they certainly don't want to hear it then, you know, that's right. not the time when they're right. going to be the most open to learning something. It's going to be later after you've laid some track of mm. compassion and empathy. And, yeah. and lovely. It's, it's so lovely. Um, what, what is, uh, out of curiosity, what is like one of your favorite things to make? Um, my, I think my favorite thing is, um, kanji, which is sometimes called juk. It's a Chinese rice soup. Oh, that, um, I've never heard it of is this. Very hard to find someone who can't eat it, um, because it basically, in its purest form, is just rice and water. Um, and I think the version I have in the book uses not just white rice, like a mixture of grains, but it, it and it's also it has to be the easiest thing to make because it, you're basically just messing up rice. Like you know, all those people who you might you meet people sometimes like I can't make good rice. <laughs> yeah. You do all the things that mess up rice. You use too much water, you cook it for too long, yep. and you stir it too much. And then you've successfully made, you've made, you may have made bad rice, but you've successfully made kanji. It's a, it's like a porridge almost. Oh. And then you can do, you can add all kinds of things to it to make it very delicious. And it's a great thing to bring to a household that may have like one person who's not feeling well, but a bunch of other hungry people that just need dinner. Um, because you can do it in kind of a component way. Like you make a big pot of kanji, and then you add in little containers, like stuff you can put on top of it. Mm. Um, 
it's in, so it's incredibly simple. It's incredibly inexpensive. Um, and it can sort of be modular. It can work for people of all kinds of appetites and levels of hunger and so forth. And Sounds it came hilarious. into our, my family's life because our very close family friends, um, the mom is a Chinese American cook and she's like, like a superhero. As soon as something bad happened, she was at the door with a pot of kanji. Mm. Like it, it is her calling card oh, you know, to show up that's with amazing. us. And so, um, I was thinking and writing a little bit this morning about um, one of the criticisms I read online of the book was like these weird ingredients or these weird ideas. And I I think to some people, like the idea of kanji is comfort food and it's what they've grown up with. And for some people, it's like it's an exotic thing. Like, why is she mm. introducing this exotic idea? It's rice. Rice yeah. and water. <laughs> you know, it's just presented in this different way. And I feel like like that, speaking of like sort of in a more global sense, like empathy and the crisis of empathy in the world right now, one of the simplest meditations for me is who else is eating this or mm. where did it come from or how did it come to be in my life? Or if you have curiosity or you want to build empathy cross-culturally or globally or whatever, eating what other people eat is a really powerful way to do that. You're, you know, you're occupying their headspace in a kind of way that you can't otherwise you're and then you're ingesting it it becomes part of you you know it's this very metaphoric way of um building understanding if you eat what they eat yeah um then they're not they anymore they're not othered you know it's it's this very integral way to address it so i think a lot about that i love that that's such a beautiful exploration of curiosity and empathy i love that um have you, uh, before we sort of transition into Empathy Heroes, uh, have you, it just made me think, it just came to my mind, have you seen the movie Big Night? Yes, a long time ago, right? Yeah, it, it came out, I, I think, probably um, late 90s, mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. Stanley Tucci. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, um Tony Shalhoub. Tony right? Shalhoub, yeah, play brothers yeah. from Italy, and they have yeah. this, you know. Oh wow, yeah, I hadn't thought about that in ages. Yeah, and it just but made me very... think. It made me think of it as you're talking about this book, extra helping, and and the 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 connecting force of food, and and sort of um, that it's such a powerful thing, and it's so beautifully um, realized in that movie, Big Night. You know, they mm-hmm. they're they're a struggling Italian restaurant and they have sort of like one last hurrah and it's uh it's just it's just lovely and i i you know if listeners you're listening and you have never heard of this movie go look it up i'm sure it's streaming somewhere or rented somewhere um it's called mm-hmm. big night it's really it's beautiful yeah it was a beautiful movie i hadn't thought about that in a long time yeah um well uh let's transition into empathy heroes this is the part of the show where my guests and I, listeners, uh, each mention an empathy hero or two from our lives. Could be someone we know personally, could be an author we love or um, a quote we love from an author, um, could be a character from a book or a movie even. Um, I will go first, Janet, to give you a moment to think on your empathy hero. My empathy hero this week is my f- my new friend, Rochelle Chuang, who is a teacher at... Uh, couple local schools um, to me here, uh, local universities to me here in Southern California. And she, we connected maybe about a month ago and, and she um, 
she invited me to speak and do some uh, two empathy workshops uh, at uh, two universities, uh, one just coming up next week and one in March. And uh, I, I feel so lucky. Like, I feel like, you know, this, this thing I'm building with the Feel the Human Collective, you know, the idea is that there will be online workshops and then eventually sort of in-person workshops and retreats and stuff, all based around developing empathy and vulnerability and emotional wayfinding. And, and this is such a tremendous opportunity for me to, you know, sort of continue to hone my sort of craft of like speaking in public and talking about these ideas in ways that, um, are accessible and and so I just feel so grateful and lucky to know Rochelle and and just so happy that you know she invited me invited me to to speak um, and I just I just feel like just kind of aligns with what I've been doing and what I want to do in the world and so Rochelle Chuang is my empathy hero this week for that. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah. That's a really great opportunity. Thank you so much. Oh, I was listening to something last night and I, my brain is so old. I can't remember what it was, but they were talking about um, like positive. It was a, some positive self-talk kind of mm. thing around. I have to go to the bank and then I have to teach this thing and then I have to, and to, I get to, mm-hmm. I get to do this. I get to go to the parent teacher conference, like that simple little switch, like Love really that. powerful. Yeah. yeah. Super powerful. Well, my perennial, always forever empathy hero is Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah. Um, He's just the best. deeply passionate about Mr. Rogers. And I just listened to, I was actually thinking of you. So I was listening to it. Um, there's a great new podcast called Finding Fred. Um, and Carvel Wallace does a really interesting deep dive into the meaning of Mr. Rogers in, um, in all kinds of ways that you might not have already thought about. And, um, there was this quote that I, you know, have had to like rewind and play, rewind and play just to get it written down. But we talk about genius in so many capacities when it comes to other things, the things we think of as hard, but empathy is really hard. And talking to people about empathy and getting people to understand empathy is so hard. And this man was a genius at it, not because of innate talent, but because he valued it and committed to it. And he worked really hard at it. Wow. And I just, I really appreciate how many people now are emphasizing, like not superheroing him, um, but really emphasizing how human he was. And not that we need him to come back, but, you know, his kind of final message was, I taught you so you could do it. It's not that you need me to do it for you. You, it's in you. You all need to do it yourselves. The capacity is in all of us. So, um, I never, I never stop learning from his example. Oh man, Mister Rogers is all mm. time, all time best. Yeah. I mean, he's there's he's yeah, per- there's a, he's beautiful. He's a beautiful human. There's a StoryCorps um, recording of um, him uh, talking to oh my god, my brain, um, Francois Clemens mm. about the scene. I mean, the, just like the depth and, and the intensity of what he was doing in such a simple way, like that um, scene where he, he washes his feet, yeah, has all these like biblical overtones and yeah. that when you think of the, the context, like the time in which he did it, like amazing. And I, it's, I learn endlessly from, from him. Yeah. Did you see the documentary? 
oh, you know that I did that. Oh, my yes. gosh. The minute that it came out uh, and the <laughs> Tom Hanks movie and all the podcasts. I, I need to I, I heard of Finding Fred and I, I, I need to listen to that. I didn't watch <gasps> the Tom Hanks movie. I I I I was worried and maybe you can tell me because you've seen it. I was worried that it was going to because I heard it wasn't great and i loved the documentary so much and i was crying within like two minutes of watching the documentary preview my daughter was sitting next we were in a movie theater and they showed the preview for it and i was sobbing and she looked at me like seriously oh i I would have been right (laughs) with you because i cried in the trailer as well um but tell me about the tom hanks one was that good or uh it's a it's a good movie it's it's not um like if you're looking for your next like real fix yeah. Of Mr. Rogers, I would say Finding Fred is the way to go. Okay. I, I definitely appreciated the movie and there's a lot to be gained from it, but it's the documentary, if I had to choose, I mean, I love Tom Hanks and I think he did a wonderful job, but the the documentary and then this podcast are really the way to go. All right. That's, yeah. Good, uh, good tips. Um, well, Janet, uh, where can the Yumi Empathy Feely Humans connect with you, uh, buy your book, um, uh, all of that stuff? Um, well, I'm, the book is one of those where books are sold situations. It was published by Roost. So anywhere, I obviously would be doing a resounding cheer for your local bookseller. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yes. available anywhere that books are available. And then I write um, for uh, my general purposes at my purposes at my um, blog, which is a raisin and a porpoise.com. So what does a raisin and a porpoise mean? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a Lewis Carroll quote about, oh, um, okay. that has to do with like, when you set out on a journey, you set out with a reason, a raisin and a porpoise, a reason and a purpose. Got it. Um, and I felt so um, sort of goobery about starting a blog um, that I couldn't give it some serious name at the time and I then get it. The, kind of the ship sailed so i love it i, stuck with I it. love it um and uh okay so you have raisinandporpoise.com the book extra helping everyone is available everywhere but definitely support your local bookstore and uh yeah well thank you janet so much for being um a guest on you me empathy and sharing your wisdom you're so very eloquent um about uh, just life experiences and all of this empathy stuff. And so I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you too. You know, knowing this was a really great experience and I'm glad we stuck with the scheduling. Um, Me too. Me this too. was a great conversation. So thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing to hone these skills for people because I really do think it's the path back towards the light for the world. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, listeners, as I always say, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Love, love, love. Love, love.